0: everyone. Thank you again for tuning to ATR. Um, As usual, this is Jessie, your co-host for today. Hi, everyone.
1: This is Sime from ATR.
0: And if you guys are avid listener, you would know that the introduction today is slightly different from the previous episodes. And that's because Sime and I are attempting to try something new. So yeah. I hope you like this. So what's really sparked this was because previously we heard a conversation between two individuals. And they are Manoj Menon, which is our MD and our founder of TwinBit, right? And the second guy was actually Nathan Bell, the chief digital officer of M1. So for those who are not in Asia and for those who are not familiar with M1, M1 is actually a capital-owned um, subsidiary. And M1 is the third biggest telco provider here in Singapore, right behind Syntel and also Starhub. So, you know, I think M1 is going through a series of digital transformation, which is the effort where Nathan Bell um, is driving forward. So I think that conversation that they had really sparked an interest um, between us to discuss a little bit more about the role of a chief digital officer?
1: Right. So, you know what? When I heard about this chief digital officer, I actually, you know, tried to Google search a little bit about this role. And I came across an article on WeForum. On actually, I think, you know, this this is one of the trendiest C-suite roles for the past few years. More than 21% of the large public firms actually, you know, are looking to employ the CDO, to, to be part of their senior management. Well, while PwC's finding shows that CBO hiring rates peaked in 2016, the growth has, however, slowed down significantly over the past three years. Yeah, that, that really confused me. Like, yeah. everyone is looking to hire them, and but the growth is, has slowed down significantly. This is a little bit like opposite to what is happening to the world today. Which no. is um, we are getting more digitalized. You know, every company is going for this digital economy. So I think most of the individuals that actually got employed to you know as a chief digital officer, they are actually very competent, motivated, and experienced people. They have a strong mixed knowledge and, and skills in terms of whether it's technology or business. So I think in this episode, we are really happy to have um. Nathan here to help us to understand more about what a CDO really does in a company.
0: So I guess without us spoiling further for you guys, let's tune into the conversation between them.
2: So, so Nathan, there were two things we wanted to talk about today, right? One is uh, chief digital officer. What does it really take to be successful? Is just appointing the chief digital officer, uh, uh, you know, gonna solve all the problem? Uh, uh, what, what is, uh, yeah, what? How does he go about making this transformation successful? What are the key ingredients of making that success? Now that you've been in this role for uh, almost three years, right?
3: Yeah. So, so. I look at it from a few lenses, um, they have to have the unwavering support of the CEO. Mm. The reason I say that is um, a CDO does not enter into its role to win a popularity contest. Mm. It just doesn't happen. You're not the chief marketing guy, you're not the chief sales guy, you know, you're the guy that's going to disrupt and help to change the business overall. So mm. I think the first thing that has to have the unwavering support of the CEO. Um, the second aspect is uh, simply about people. So you know with the CDO, it, you have to basically uh, have the people on board the journey with you. And you know I, I've talked about it with other folks that you've really got to be walking with the business. You know if, if the CDO is out front leading the business, that's no good because that means everyone's too comfortable in the old world in terms of what' they're, what they're doing. Um, so I think the people aspect is really, really key, and that's people in terms of uh, you know buying into the journey, being part of the change. So you know I think um, while well, everyone sort of gets excited about the iterative nature of Agile, one of the things I love about it is I think it's the first mechanism we've had where you create ownership within the business of actually owning outcomes that are being developed from a technology standpoint. Um, so this concept of product owners, I think is something that is game changing. Uh, for a digital officer because it means that you've got the the, the direct engagement and linkages with, with the, the business teams. Whereas before it was, look, just give me a statement of requirements and I'll go away and, and have a look at it and come back to you in terms of what's going to get executed. And Then the business will sit down there as if it was Christmas and curious whether they're going to get a bag of coal or they're going to get something really exciting and cool that they're going to want to play with for the next uh, two or three years. So I think that people aspect really, really key. Um, uh, the third aspect, I think the c d o is is being bold um, i I feel for a lot of technology folks out there who are being challenged on a digital agenda, but don't disrupt anything. you know it's like, okay, um let's transform, build me an app and mm-hmm. I'm always curious because building an app is actually hasn't changed anything in the business then at all. All you've done is you know it might look exciting, but the the inner workings might still be um, just cranking the cranking the handle and running as fast as you can. You know, and in the analogy I like to use is you know, imagine walking into a shop window of a store and seeing this amazing high-tech things all flowing around and moving, and then you walk into the store and you just see a million people that are running everywhere to try and keep that front shop looking as great and as good as it does. That's not mm-hmm. that's not going digital in in my view. So. I think being bold to be able to say, Hey, the outcomes we're trying to achieve in an organization is this. In order to get there, this is how radical we're going to, to be. This is the change we're going to make. And at N one, we burned the boats. You know, we've basically set it up that there is no way back. And some people might sort of say, Oh, well, that's that's really crazy, Nathan. You know, you have to have a lifeboat to get back. So, well, the challenge is if you do that, then everyone's gonna be looking for the lifeboat every single day because transformation's hard. Mm-hmm. Um so the fact that we've sort of forced ourselves on that journey is part of that bold aspect. Um, the, the, the final aspect, I think, of a CDO is um, in terms of being a translator. Um, historically, when you were driving technology, the CIO or the IT manager or whatever would just say to the business, you tell me your requirements, I'll worry about all the stuff. Don't, you don't have to look at it. Don't have to worry about it. Now, because of this new model we have of being digital, it actually means that the business has to understand those tools and how they're going to use those tools and self-serving those tools. Um, they don't necessarily understand the technology to begin with, so you have to be the translator. So I think it's in terms of understanding um, what's important for marketing, what's important for sales, what's important for finance, what's important for business supporting functions, and how do you educate them on the technology of why it's exciting for them, what's going to mean for them, and achieving their outcomes uh, that they're, Targeting with so, for example, um, marketing teams in a in a truly digital native company are able to make changes dynamically to prices, to products, promotions, whatever it might be. Telcos historically would take more than a week to do that because I have to set my requirements, I have to tell if the system can do it, I have to change my requirements, I put it back in, and hopefully it works. Um, so convincing a marketing function that has known that all their lives that hey, with this new platform, you'll be able to do it yourself and you'll be able to do it in real time. And you'll be able to see the analytics coming off the back of it in terms of what's working or what's not working can be frightening, right? Because they've never had to do any of that before. And you're now telling them that instead of an IT person doing it, a marketing person is going to flick the switch. That's, that's scary. So mm. you've got to be that translator to give them confidence of, hey, this is how it's going to work. This is why it's going to be great for you. This is why it's going to be safe. And it's going to keep you in a safe place in terms of how you go and uh, you go and execute. So I think um, you know that, that that becomes really key in terms of how you balance it out. So I think as a CDO, that's what I would look at is you've got to have the unwavering support of the CEO, you've got to have the people alignment and engagement, um, you've got to be driving that uh, translation aspects um, in terms of what's going on, and you've got to be bold. Because um, mm-hmm. if you're not bold, you're never really going to become digital. You're just going to do a bit of digital and that'll be it. Mm. Uh, and what what is the
2: difference between uh, digital or digitization and this digital transformation and the true goal that the CDO has to achieve? Uh, mm. You know. Uh,
3: yeah, I love that question. How, um, yeah. yeah. How do you measure
2: the success? Right. Essentially, how do you measure the success of the CDO?
3: So I think I, I look at it in um, a few key metrics. I'm going to start with the most obvious one, but it's always also the hardest um, and that's in terms of uh, um, it's in terms of cost out, right? I, I think in any digital transformation, it's always about cost out, whereas with digitization, it's not about cost out. But digitization tends to be more about the experience. So the experience you create for your employees or you create for your uh, customers. And um, I always akin digitization with uh, creating a digital veneer. Um, you know, nothing else has sort of changed in the business, but I've got these new tools and capabilities that people can can go and use. Um, and therefore, digitalization tends to be more linked to uh, driving growth than it does to actually cost out and and, and truly transforming. There's always a belief that uh, digitalization will drive out cost, but I think that's um, very subjective because. If you look at your customer service team, if all of the processes and all of the internal tools remain exactly the same, all you've done is created another mechanism for a customer or a partner to click a button and create more work for the people in the back end. That's that's not solving anything, in my view. Whereas digital transformation is actually looking at your um, complete house and reimagining what is that going to look like, how's that going to work? So. As an example, for our customer service team, they use over 10 different systems to serve a customer today. In the digital platform, they use one. That means all the information is aggregated to them. That means you're able to start using things like next best action, next best offer, because that data is aggregated. You've got the history of the interaction with the customer in one place. You know what things that they've been offered from marketing, so you can see, oh, you know, you were interested in this promotion, but maybe I can tell you about X how do you keep driving that that dialogue so therefore the the customer service person is spending more time talking to the customer rather than navigating all these other different systems and you know uh, in M1, I used to call them the kings and queens of the alt tab cuz I was always amazed at how fast that they could pivot between different screens while you know talking to a customer and then trying to solve things in the back end for them so i think that's the the biggest shift to transformation is that it's rapid simplification, um, it's reducing the effort that people are spending on uh, tasks versus talking to customers and looking at that in the back of the system. So in another area, we we've looked at our eShop and the objective for our eShop is to remove all manual tasks, right? So the moment that a customer orders a device or orders a SIM card um, or an accessory, whatever that might be, how does that order go straight through to the warehouse? So what does that entail? That means no one's had to validate the order, the system validates the order. No one has to validate the ID of the customer. We validate we already know the customer or we use a, mecha, a tool and we got a couple of these that actually um, uh, confirms who the customer is. Um, we actually then do an inventory stock that no one's had to check and then it goes straight to the warehouse with an assigned code. This is the device, this is the person, this is the address, ship it. When we achieve that and we're getting really close, you've basically um, removed significant amount of manual work that was being done by obviously people, and that's Mm. going to deliver real cost out. But the other cost out that we start to see is in terms of the the technology side. So as M1, and I think there's a lot of businesses that are truly transforming, they're actually um, getting rid of all of their on-prem technology, right? And people are asking me, um, just the other day, actually, you know so why why would you do that and, and what's the real benefit of, of putting it all in the cloud? Uh, and I share with them two aspects. The, the in the near term, on-prem makes perfect sense. I've got the latest version of the software it's all on-prem, not reliant on anybody, it's all great. Yeah. But then a couple of things happen. you have to upgrade the software, and because it's on-prem, it's your upgrade, which means it's at your cost, um, and you've got to look at how that sort of operates with everything else. The other issue then is as hardware moves from that wonderful warranty period into support, every year your support costs actually just keep going up. So that then becomes another issue you've got to try and, and, and overcome. Whereas if you're moving everything into the, sorry, the last point is, if you have to scale that platform, you just have to buy more server and infrastructure and you don't know, is that a near-term demand? Is that a long-term demand? You've invested in it and you're stuck with it. Whereas if you can truly, go through a digital transformation and and virtualize all of these applications. So at M1, we now only use SaaS, which again is for us a very bold move in terms of where we came from. But by using SaaS, our software is upgraded three to four times a year with us having to use very little effort. Uh, I have the ability to scale the platform. So when we do like an iPhone pre-order exercise, I can scale up the platform and then I can ramp it back down again. So my risk in terms of um, uh, scalability is completely removed. Uh, and the the final aspect that we see is because of those upgrades, we are constantly getting new features that we can look at without having to go and customize or build those ourselves on those systems. So, uh, I guess that's what I see as the two big differences in terms of digitization is you know, you're creating a veneer, you're creating new tools, but not necessarily driving efficiency. Digital transformation is you're completely reimagining that either from a work perspective or from a technology perspective and driving some of those outcomes. And how would you measure success? Sorry, yes, good point. We missed that point um, so I would measure success on a couple of on a couple of angles um the The first obviously is the the cost out, which is what we talked about so I didn't, didn't get onto the rest um, The second one I think is employee engagement and this might sound odd because you go, well surely it's about the customer, but in my experience, if your people are excited to be working there, the customer's going to be happy to talk to them anyway
1: yeah.
3: You know, it's going to create a very different dynamic in terms of the type of engagement they're going to be doing. So I think that becomes um, really, really important. Uh, the third aspect I would say is um, optimization. And I'm talking optimization from a process and a time perspective. So if, if I can demonstrate that what used to take five days to do an order or 10 days to do a change is now measured in minutes uh, or measured in a day because it's self-serve for the business whatever, that's success. Um, and I think the, the the final aspect for me is evolution. So, if I can demonstrate that, um, uh, let's say we want to add on a new product, I can measure that in weeks rather than in months of what I used to do. Uh, mm-hmm. If I want to replace a certain component of the architecture, that I can do that in just a few months rather than years of what it might have been before. Then that's success. So I think that evolution is key because, um, as someone once once uh, shared with me, which really resonated, transformations never finish. If you look at a truly digital company, they never stop transforming. Yeah, so I think it's cost, employee engagement, process optimization, um, and uh, evolution is the way I would measure the CDO. Mm. Are there any role models
2: or any companies you think have done a good job at this transformation? You look up to them; they have achieved reasonably.
3: So I come back to Turkcell. I think Turkcell yeah. has done some amazing stuff. It can um, be beyond
2: telecom, also. Yeah,
3: need okay. not be telecom. Okay. Um, what have I seen? Yeah, it's so hard when you're looking at your feet every day, driving your own transformation. Yeah. I tell you, what, one company I did meet in Mobile World Congress, Argentina Telecom, I was quite impressed with their journey and and what they've um, what they've been doing. Um, mm. that has been really really exciting.
2: Um, mm. Among that, the big companies clearly, you know, Microsoft you could give that they yeah, transform totally. themselves. Yeah, is among one of the world's best. I uh, Adobe uh, that
3: Adobe in that same, uh,
2: Adobe, yeah. You
3: know, yeah. Yeah, uh agree. So Microsoft Adobe uh, are definitely two um uh two mm-hmm. good ones. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. could argue yeah, uh, some time ago
2: uh, I a, you know, Domino's Pizza is another good one. I don't know if you have ever read that case yeah. study, yeah. right? So there could be another one. Okay. So Nathan, if you were to let's say, you know, uh, if you were to start your journey as a chief digital officer all over again, yeah, and said, "Hey, today is uh, day one of your job. You're walking in <laughs> as a new digital officer to your company. How would you go about doing it?" and You know, what would be the, let's say, is there a best practice guidebook that we can give to, you know, because this role, while we say digital officer and people have been talking about it, the reality is I think less than 10% of companies still have this role. (laughs) And if they have it, they're poorly defined it as you have said, right? Uh, So if, if a CEO or a board is saying, I got to have a chief digital officer and Nathan is that new chief digital officer, uh, how would you go about doing it? Yeah.
3: I, I think one important aspect that sort of lead as an in going into that role is you have to make sure, and I think this is where people get caught up in terms of why there's not enough CDOs. Um, it's got to be someone who understands the business and the technology, right? And I, and I think a lot of people sort of see their CIO as, look, well, they know people in the business, that's, that's fine. So it's not about knowing the individuals, it's about knowing the actual functions, how they operate and, and the way they work. And therefore, when you're coming in the very first time, um, I actually think it's important to understand the landscape of where you are from a business perspective, not, not yet from a technology perspective. The, the technology will continue to work. That's, 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 that's not going to be where the radical change begins. So, to understand from each of the different parts of the organization, um, where are you today? Where do you want to get to? Where, where, where does your, your business want to get to? Then once you've actually done that, stitching those threads together to have a conversation with the CEO or possibly the board to say, hey, either we've got some decisions that we need to take in terms of finance is trying to go to the left, marketing's trying to go to the right, that's never going to work. Um, maybe it's a case of, hey, um, uh, there's a huge opportunity in um, uh, partner solutions. So Therefore, instead of starting with the transformation of the existing, we want to transform a new business capability first and, and and turn that into a digital product. So I think that learning part is important first. Then the second part, I think, is understanding the people within the organization. Uh, and the reason for that is, uh, and that's been a big learning from my side, while there can be senior leadership of, yep, we're going to do this, going to be amazing, there has to be an appetite uh, as well as a capability within the organization to actually go and make those changes, drive that uh, path to digital. Um, because if there isn't, then it's like trying to push water uphill. It's just it's never going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, so I think those have become the first two parts. Uh, understanding the different functions, where they're trying to get to, understanding the people, and then last, understanding the technology. What's there today? Um, what's the shelf life of it? How future-proof is it? Uh, what changes need to be made, and what's the capability of the the IT folks that are in the team, and how it's going to work? And, and the reason I share that is there are um, uh, functions that I've brought in as a CDO that didn't exist before. So we didn't have uh, a design lead and a design team in the, the the business. Why? You know, design was something someone else did for marketing, and that yeah. marketing would then pass that requirement across to IT. Whereas if you're going to be truly digital, you've got to own that because that becomes an asset in terms of what you're driving. Um, mm. Having a uh, a lead product owner, um, and at the moment, that role reports to me and in a, in a mature organization, I'm sure that role would report to the CEO. CEO. So, so those are new things that we actually had to go and create. But you can't create them until you understand what the people are like that actually um, uh on on the ground and understanding what the capabilities are like within the existing IT function. So I've seen in some areas where they keep the CIO and the CDO separate. I think that works only if the CIO is actually going to be taking direction from the CDO. Because if they start competing, then it's going to be chaos. Um, Unless you make the CDO a strategic only role, and then I can tell you most CDOs are not going to understand the execution, they're only going to understand the vision. And then as a CEO, you're going to get frustrated because it's like, oh, I've got a great vision. Why can't it be executed? And then you'll get this spat between the CIO and the CDO saying, oh, because he doesn't understand the technology. Oh, because he's not willing to change. And it'll go nowhere and it'll restart. And I've seen a lot of companies go through that. So I've seen a lot of companies who have either brought in a consultant as a CDO to try and drive that direction and then expect that the CIO will execute it but that's hard, that's really hard.
2: You know, We haven't seen M1 do a lot of acquisitions. You have done some in the enterprise space. So you think acquisitions is an important part and you think we need to do that more Uh, or what is your take on it?
3: I think um, we have to do that next is what I would say. And Mm. what I mean by that is, and so if you take Adobe and Microsoft, they changed themselves first before they went on that aggressive Mm. acquisition spree. Why? Because that gave them the solid foundation Excuse me, to be able to integrate other people into. So, I think when we get through the next year and a bit, we'll be in a position where we can say, hey, if I'm integrating somebody else, I can actually integrate their business and treat yeah. their business as a product onto my platform. And to your point, you look at Adobe Micro, that's exactly what they've done. They then synergize all of the supporting functions, you know, finance, HR, um, IT, uh, marketing, et cetera. And then the product piece becomes what's the unique value that they then retain, but everything else is sitting on the same platform. I think yeah. that's that's what we'll be. B2B, I think is a bit different. I mean, we've done more of a, a geography B2B play now with the you know acquisition up in, in Malaysia. Uh, there was an ICT acquisition in um uh, Singapore with Asia Pack. And as we get into our B2B journey, we will start integrating those parts as the foundation together as well, just how it's gonna work. But I think. You know, when you look at other large telcos, where they tend to get caught out is, what's the integration effort to bring that company in like properly, and it is so scary and it is so complex. They go, you know what? Let's just let's leave it there. You know, let's let's align the business functions, but we 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 accept that the tools are going to be different for the next two to three years. But by that point, two to three years, then what's the synergy? How's how's that team actually felt like they're part of the same? company in terms of what you're actually doing and then you miss an opportunity right so I, I think that's what I observe uh, in, in that regard so you know you look at the, the the history of Cisco I mean they were an acquisition machine right yeah. any company that they could pull in but they also had the ability to also push out which I always thought was incredibly impressive and and the reason for that was the foundation of the technology platforms were so robust. That they were designed for augmenting other capabilities going forward. I think that's what people get caught out. It's, it's, there can be a business strategy to want to go and do it, but that has to be an understanding of then how's it going to come in.
2: Mm. Okay. Uh, next question, Nathan. No, what is the role? And you talked about the people part, you talked about bringing the people together. So, ideally, how do you see the role of uh, learning and development or people transformation? in this and how do you what is the ideal mechanism to do go about doing it is there a uh, you know is there an ideal way obviously it's very hard to do it in the idealistic manner but uh, let's say how would given the experience that you have had now over the last 3 years uh, how would you go about doing it where is that gap how should you approach it
3: so i've been very fortunate to be involved in four transformations now one receiving one greenfield um, in Indonesia for telecom, a B two B one and now a consumer one here. Um, and my biggest learning is there's no fixed way to do it, right? But but one thing I would call that is the people transformation is actually even more important than the technology transformation. Um, you know, I joked with someone the other day. If it was just the technology, you could actually transform really really quickly. You've got these pesky things called human beings that have to get involved and use it and interact. And, you know, heaven forbid, want something to work the way they like it to work versus just out of the box, right? So, unless you solve that people aspect, don't even bother. It's, it's not going to matter. So, that, the how, the how, there's lots of different ways. And, and I think the biggest learning that I've had over the years is that you have to adapt to the situation that you're in, okay? So in Telstra, there was a top-down approach from the CEO. We're all doing agile. Everyone's being trained on agile. And I always look at it as that pendulum aspect. You know I think as Telstra, it went way too far too fast to train everybody up. Everybody started changing their job titles. Um, oh, I'm no longer a project manager, I'm a scrum master. I'm a, I'm a product owner. I'm, a, I'm a, a, a product designer, I'm a product architect. You know all this stuff are coming up um, on the on the one hand, that was dangerous because everyone started to call themselves an agile practitioner. On the other hand, the business had a consistent understanding of what the transformation was going to be about and what role people had to play that were embedded into the into the program. I mean, I remember one of the first sessions I had, and I think 30 product owners turned up and I said, uh, hang on a second. There's way too many product owners because so I'm only launching two products. What's going on? It's like, oh, I'm the product owner for this bit, this bit. Okay, fine. Everyone, step back. Let's rethink it, right? So you got that extreme. Then you got the other extreme where you've got people who have been um, working a certain way for a very, very long time, and are like, "I don't want to change. I just do not want to change." And and I compare that to people having a vision about wanting to move house. You know, you've seen a beautiful new apartment. Oh, the views are, are, are spectacular. But then you actually have to go and move house, and it's like, oh, I've got to pack everything up." I gotta do a handover, I've gotta fit everything up in the right place. Oh, it's so much work. Do we really need to move apartment? We actually like this apartment. You know what? Don't worry about it, cancel it, let's just stay here. That happens, and that's the human condition, right? So now imagine doing that with a thousand people and asking all of them to move house at the same time. Mm. Right? It's 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 crazy. So you've got to then say okay how are you going to drive it and i think the approach we've taken here now has therefore been quite different in that we're starting with pockets so we've we've got about 7 or 8 um, uh, teams that we are now establishing and we're guiding those individuals through that process and that is now finally starting to have a um, and no not linked to a pandemic or anything it's starting to have a viral effect other people want to be part of that that journey saying so, why do they get those resources and and do this stuff? Why don't why don't I get that? Well, you know, what's your requirement? What's your need? How can we go and set that up for you? But you have to understand, you know, in the wonderful words of Spider Man, "With great power comes great responsibility." You know, so guiding them on that journey of, of what's possible, it starts to become the next thing and the next thing. So um, I actually see that by the end of this year, we'll actually have twenty product donors across mm-hmm. finance, customer service, retail, marketing, product. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, God, what was it, procurement. Um, legal, yeah. Legal, exactly. So they're slowly getting into that. So that approach is working here. But but I think that the point is there is no silver bullet for, for the people change, the people transformation. You have to understand the landscape. You have to understand the dynamic. And, and again, this is the value, I think, when you understand both the technology and the business. If you just understand the technology, you'll be oblivious to the people side of it. You really will because you're like, that's a marketing responsibility, or that's a finance responsibility, they need to figure that stuff out. Whereas if you actually understand what's happening under the hood in those functions of how resistant are they going to be to the change that you're bringing, then you can go and make that assessment. So I think it always requires um, viewing the landscape, making a call, and then figuring out what's the right model to go and execute from that lens. Got it, excellent. Asia Tech Room by TwinBit is a new bi-weekly podcast focused on
0: unraveling the technologies and digital companies shaping Asia tomorrow. It's co-hosted by me, Jessie. And, and me, Siu We are both business strategists, entrepreneurs, and self-proclaimed technology enthusiasts. Sometimes, we have industry leaders and other market analysts as our guest hosts too. Remember to tune in and share with us your thoughts and feedbacks. We really do appreciate them.